I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Hello, this is Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. And this is Dinner Table Politics. And it is the day after Donald Trump saved the world with his State of the Union address. Oh, I didn't hear about the saving the world. I heard about the State of the Union address. Well, did you watch the State of the Union address? No. You didn't watch any of it. I don't get the... I've never watched any State of the Union addresses. They're boring. I don't get the point. They're just... They're just like little partisan hurrah sessions for the president. It's just stupid. What do you mean it's just stupid? We got to see Buzz Aldrin wearing a uh, an American flag tie and a whole bunch of rings. I mean, well, the moon landing's fake, so oh, he's okay. a criminal. I forgot. I forgot that the moon landing is fake. We do not believe the moon landing is fake. No, Disclaimer. That was, that was sarcasm. Sarcasm. I love the moon. I believe in its reality. You believe the moon exists? Yeah. Well, I'm glad we've got that settled. Uh, the State of the Union is usually rather boring. This, I think, more so than most. It went on for about an hour and 15 minutes. It's the longest State of the Union since the year 2000, when Bill Clinton went on way too long. I once had the opportunity to go to a State of the Union, and I turned it down. Who's State of the Union? It was 1995. Uh, My father was ill. He had one ticket uh, to the gallery, and he wanted to know if I could use it. And I actually, I wanted to use it, and I had something else going on that night. So I could have gone to a State of the Union. Are you jealous? No, I'm I, really, really not. I'm not even jealous. I don't even miss that. Or I'm disappointed by that. No, the State of the Union, it's become this huge political grandstanding demagogic nonsense thing. That was a lot of good adjectives. Weren't they good, though? They didn't necessarily all go together very well. Demagogic? But, is that demagogic or demagogic? Demagogic? I don't know. Oh. We'll have to look that I'm up. I'm never going to use it in my life ever, so it doesn't matter really. Well, you learn things on dinner table politics. Maybe people will look that up. But it's become this sort of display case for all of these human props to come out and say, look at this magnificent person. I mean, Buzz Aldrin was put on display right there at the beginning. Oh, I heard Alice Johnson was there. Yeah. I like her. Kim Kardashian got her freed from prison. Yeah, remind me who she is. She was this lady who had been giving a, given a life sentence for like a non-violent. Oh right. It was like yeah, it was this crazy thing, and um, someone Kim Kardashian heard about her story somehow and like met with the president and made it like her business to get. And she's she a minister her, now. She calls her Miss Alice. She's uh, she's a prison minister now. I think so. She's like writing a book, and Kim Kardashian's writing the foreword. So I guess oh. I'm going to get her book. So Kim Kardashian is having somebody ghost write the foreword. For I don't her. think so because she's like pretty close with with Alice. Like they they're together like pretty often. I see. Well, that is delightful. 
I what? just I get really excited about talking about Kim Kardashian. So well, that's good. Well, you should have watched the State of the Union address because there are plenty of people like that. We had a Holocaust survivor, and we also had the soldier who liberated them oh, from I Auschwitz. You, I think you said there are plenty of people like Kim Kardashian, and I was like, Kim Kardashian's not like a Holocaust survivor. Oh, there are plenty of people like the person Kim Kardashian helped. So, as, as you go through it, you know. You go back, it makes me long for the time when Thomas Jefferson submitted the State of the Union by letter. You long for that time? You miss those days? Well, I miss that. You know, I don't miss the pre-medicine and pre-electronics and slavery. technology that and was a, slavery days. That was days. a huge bummer. Yeah, I, I don't miss all that stuff. But I do miss the days when the State of the Union wasn't a political football. And I can see why Nancy Pelosi very much wanted to cancel the State of the Union because there was nothing in this that she would have enjoyed. And I think it probably helped Donald Trump to a certain degree, although it's really kind of bizarre to hear Donald Trump get up and give speeches like this. First of all, because Donald Trump, his speech pattern, his, his vocabulary is something like 400 words long. You know, he always says the same thing. When Alec Baldwin imitates Donald Trump, he says the thing that he thinks about is somebody who's always trying to reach for the perfect word and never finds it. You know, it's just fantastic that we're all here. It's 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 fantastic. It's... I'm sick of his impression. I'm sorry, Alec Baldwin, but uh, I could live the rest of my life without seeing it again. I can understand that. I can understand that. I don't I don't really pay much attention to what Saturday Night Live is doing now. Not because it isn't funny, but because it's all kind of one note at this point. Just screaming Trump is awful. It's like... I like it for Pete Davidson. I love him. Oh, okay. He's not engaged. Shout out Pete Davidson. He's not engaged to Ariana Grande anymore. No, but he was recently seen holding hands with Kate Beckinsale, so. So there it is. The plot thickens. Okay. Well, the plot thickens indeed, but the point being that the State of the Union, it's, it's bizarre to hear Donald Trump use much bigger words than are actually in his vocabulary. At the end of it, he started talking about Purple Mountain's majesty and the rolling, he didn't use those actual if he'd used those phrases, it might have been made a little more plagiarism. sense. Plagiarism. Yeah. yeah, his wife is the one who's the plagiarist. But he, he, when he starts talking in complete sentences and start talking in his speechwriter's actually fully realized thoughts, it's just a little bit unnerving because it doesn't sound like him. Right. He always tries to interject things like, he said it couldn't be done, you know, it's fantastic, it's great, you know, little asides in there that make you realize that... It may oh, be the first time he's ever oh, read these things. This, that, he's still there. Yeah, he's still there. He's not a robot. He's not a robot. Yet. Did you see, incidentally, the thing, his schedule has leaked? 60% oh. of his time has spent in executive ex- time. Executive time, i.e. television watching. I'm going to start calling that, like, when I watch Netflix and people are like, do like study, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm going to be like, it's my executive time. It's my executive time. I need it. Oh, no, the whole thing was just kind of a grotesque spectacle. Well, that's how it always is. Well, this it's getting worse. Uh, or I'm, are you just getting more old and crotchety? I may be getting old and crotchety. I mean, there have been terrible things that have happened at the State of the Union. I remember one time when President Obama was speaking and some Republican congressman oh, shouted out, the, You lie! Yeah, that was stupid. And that was really inappropriate and obnoxious. And we didn't have that kind of inappropriateness and obnoxiousness. I saw there's like a meme now of Nancy Pelosi clapping her hands at him. Right. That was kind of funny. I thought she was entirely polite. I don't know what else she, she was supposed to have done. 
our good friend AOC, though, refused to clap at anything, including things like let's compromise, let's work together. She just sat there stone-faced the whole time. They kept oh, I saw that. I saw she did a tweet about it, and she like wore white because they're – it represented there was more work to be done or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It, I, it doesn't matter because the whole thing is just a stupid show. It doesn't mean anything. Well, that's true and it isn't true. It doesn't mean what it's supposed to mean, but it, I think, means a great deal to the president's base and to the people that want to be reassured that their president is a great guy. And I thought it was actually very revealing about the actual fault lines that are driving our country. I want—I don't want to get into that yet, but I, I thought when he started talking about abortion, yeah, it got really—it got really interesting in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, and I think we need to discuss that as we get to the point. But it took him a long time to get there. He started. He began by addressing, you know, Mr. Speaker, uh, Mr. Vice President, or Madam Speaker. Yeah, I was going to say. And then, and then he says, Speaker. First Lady of the United States, and everybody went nuts when he mentioned Melania. And I thought, that doesn't happen. There's like, What's that about? There's people standing with guns that you can't see off camera. They're like, clap, do it. Clap, clap. Do it. Well, what I thought was grotesque was listening to Republicans starting to chant, USA, USA, USA. I mean, this isn't a football game. This is the State Nobody of the Union address. That. I've never been to a football game. Nobody chants USA at football games. No, but they chant, tastes great, less filling, don't they? What? Do they not do that anymore? What does that mean? Oh, what? Th- that used to be the Miller Lite commercial. Half the stadium would say, tastes great, and the other half would say, less filling. Am I showing that I've I haven't never seen a football that. game since well, 1991? I've only, I've only been to uh, my high school football games and BYU, so oh. and not, the, they're not really going to chant about beer either of those, probably. Okay. Well, I don't know if it tastes great or less filling. They do the wave. They do all that kind of stuff. I half expected the Republicans to launch into the wave. That would be awesome. But they didn't. They, they throw a giant, like, inflatable beach ball out into the audience. Gets bounced around. That might have been. crowd surfs at the end. Well, that kind of was the feeling of it as they started wandering through it. And so I just want to go through down the whole thing as to we'll go, we'll go through the actual issues, which I have recorded here. Um, he didn't get to the wall until later on. And everybody kind of assumed that he would he would uh, start off with the wall. Well, let's get into the specifics when we get back from our break. You're making fun of me for looking at my Facebook feed? Well, that's just half of what you say here is just stuff you've posted on your Facebook before. Well, this, no, I'm fleshing this out. Yeah. I was live Facebooking the, the speech so I could For your fans? For all of my fans. Uh, and one of the first things that came out of Donald Trump's mouth was a plea for bipartisanship. And if you want me to quote my Facebook feed, I said, listening to Donald Trump talk about bipartisanship is like listening to Ted Bundy talk about women's rights. Yeah, which is such a, no, not the same at all, (laughs) can I say. Why not? Ted Bundy murdered people and tortured them. Right. And ruined... You, well, Ted you, Bundy is a far. I, I'm, I'm not trying to equate the two people. Do you know, morally. Ted Bundy actually worked for a suicide hotline for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I watched the Ted Bundy tapes. Yeah, so that's that would be kind of, I don't know. Yeah, it's a more applicable. I don't. It's it's just not in good taste to compare him maybe to Ted Bundy. I would I would argue. Maybe it's not in good taste, but the reality is that Donald Trump is the least bipartisan president we have ever had. We have never had a president that takes to Twitter, I guess we didn't have other presidents that had Twitter, but that takes to Twitter to insult his political enemies and call them names and make fun of them 
in they that we we've we've talked about how that has happened though. Well, not not directly from the president. I mean, you have well, I guess that's not true. I guess you can go back and see that John Adams was talking about Thomas Jefferson as yeah. a guy raised on hoe cakes. Yeah, I, yeah. I, well. All right, so I'm making this all up. So I guess in modern memory, the idea of a president of the United States uh, touting bipartisanship when they have the kind of record that Donald Trump has well, it's just is clear, really ridiculous. Well, again, it's clear that Donald Trump didn't write the speech. Right. Like, what else was a speechwriter supposed to say? Right. Like, say, Lion Ted and uh, Crooked Hillary in the speech, you know? Well, uh, you make a good point. I mean, it's just, but and it's but it's also clear that Donald Trump doesn't believe his own speech, even when you hear. I think that was the first time he'd read it. Probably. I think it probably was, and you know the D Day veterans came out right there at the beginning, and oh really? Yeah, and how old are they? They they're a in their nineties at least. Yeah, D Day was that was a long time a long ago. time ago. That's crazy to think that they're still alive. Wow. Right. Life isn't so bad, really. That's we complain about it, but we're not in World War II because that was the worst. That right. was the pits. That, that's right. Not that I would know, but <laughs> I can definitively say it well, wasn't a good time. Well, it was a time of national unity and bipartisanship that we don't see now. How's that? Zing. Yeah, maybe we do need a new world war. That's what our country no, needs. No, we don't need a new world war, but those kinds of world massive events. World War events. Three. World War Three. All right, so we just said the moon doesn't exist, and we're calling for World Quote War Three. Quote me on that. Right. Just kidding. Don't. Right. I need to apply to schools. I don't need that on my record. Well, Donald Trump used the occasion to tout all of the great economic news that is coming out, and legitimately, we are in a very strong time economically. Uh, it's it's very hard for Democrats to counter that. I think they look churlish when they sat on their hands as he talked about things like this is the lowest that black and Hispanic and Asian unemployment has ever been. Oh, heck yeah. That's I an, didn't know that. That's, that's an awesome. accurate statistic. That's an accurate statistic. Way to go, y'all. Uh, where, I step, where I step back and, uh, you know, Democrats well, do this too. that's not because of anything he did. That's correct. The, the economy of the United States is not a product of the government of the United States. And every president, Democratic and Republican, stand up and take credit for all the great economic news. And when things are bad, they say, well, this is just the leftover from the last guy. When the reality is the economy is going to do what the economy is going to do, largely independent of what it's government like a, it's does. It's like a cat. And like the government is like the cat's owner. Right. And like you can try to get it to do things. You can try to get it to like do tricks or... Right. Pet it. No, the cat's going to do whatever the heck it wants. That is correct. There are things that Donald Trump has done that I think have helped the economy in the short term particularly. I think this tax cut has had a uh, short-term boost to the economy that's not going to be able to sustain. Yeah, because I've heard people doing their taxes and people are having to pay right. more this round. You know, I think this is going to hit us pretty well. I think we're, because I'm self-employed and a bunch of other things, so I think that the tax cut was aimed at just specifically me and oh, nobody else. Congrats! So that's kind of nice. But he talks about people who are lifted off of food stamps, and he talks about record unemployment and all of those kinds of things. And the State of the Union becomes a victory lap for presidents in times of economic uh, economic success. But just five minutes later, he starts talking about illegal immigration, and he starts talking about how illegal immigrants are all destroying the economy. Well, yeah. So. I- I heard people were were speculating that he was going to declare a national emergency right. at the State of the Union to build a wall, but he didn't do that. So he, he didn't do that, that and good. he was smart not to do that because if he had done that, it would have created 
I mean, the State of the Union is not a place where you can introduce controversial new ideas. Although we did announce that he's going to have another summit with Kim Jong-un, which I think is a little ridiculous, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But it was just jarring to me that he starts touting all of this great economic news and then juxtaposes it with all of the terrible things that the illegal immigrants <laughs> are doing to our economy. And our economy is suffering so tragically because of all these illegal immigrants. And by the way, this is the best economy we've ever had. So, Which is it, Donald? So Pick we, one. So we should get more illegal immigrants because the because they're doing something to the economy and the economy is doing so well. That seems Ergo, to, that seems to be the argument. More yes. illegal immigrants, more monies. That seems to be the argument. Yes. Hire me, Donald. So it, the, the whole idea that this is a national, and then he launched into a bunch of statistics about all the terrible things that illegal immigrants are doing, and I sat there and I thought. You know, 236,000 murders and all of this kind of stuff. And I thought, you know, uh, all of the statistics that I have seen. Don't bring up how many murders are done by um, white people born in, the, born in America. Right. That well, would blow it out of the water. Immigrants are less likely to commit crime than native-born Americans. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if that applies to illegal immigrants. But I listened to all of these statistics and I listened to all of the scapegoating. And it's just so deeply frustrating that people are willing, are not able to accept the good economic news at face value and are still looking for scapegoats for why their lives aren't as perfect as they want them to be. Well, that's how, that'll never change. That's just how humanity is, I feel. Well. There always has to be a scapegoat. Well, and we're going to get to the big the big divide that divides our nation where I think Donald Trump actually hit a home run last night, and I think is probably the reason he's going to be reelected. Are you excited? We'll get into that when we get back from our break. Okay, I need to clarify that when I say I think Donald Trump is going to be reelected, I'm not saying I want him to be reelected. There's a difference. Yeah. But the one area where he really galvanized the crowd, well, before I get to that, I want to get to the one area where he didn't galvanize the crowd. I forgot about this. He, he, he had these goofy little rhymes about the only thing that can derail our economy are investigations, partisan investigations. And he even had a rhyme of some kind. You know, if, it, if it will not fit, it does not fit. We will acquit. He didn't say that. Oh. But he tried something like, oh, like that. Oh, that would be interesting. That it, would be a, a whole new spin. Right. It, it just completely fell flat, even with Republicans. And I thought that was very telling, that when he was calling for the end to investigations, he didn't get any kind of a response. He is the only one who does not want to see these investigations go forward. And I look at the Republicans in Congress, and I think there's a big chunk of them who are desperate to have some reason to be able to turn on Trump and not have to pay a price at the ballot box with their constituents for doing it. And so... So anyway, so that that was the area where he, I, he was trying some lines that just completely fell flat. If you're going to make rhymes, practice them in the mirror beforehand. Right. Obviously. Right. Right. Well, he didn't practice them Use in the mirror. Use your hairbrush as a microphone. Do whatever you have to do. But the one area where he got a huge response. Abortion. Abortion. Yeah. And right now, uh, the kinds of... Abortion laws that we are seeing play right into Donald Trump's yeah, reelection. Yeah, it feels like the Democrats are like trying to get him reelected almost. Well, when people talk about abortion, they don't realize that you know 
the the vast majority of people in this country are deeply conflicted about abortion on some level or another. Yeah. I mean, there are people who are pro-life and are fiercely pro-life who still, you know, we belong to a church that believes that uh, abortion is justifiable in cases of rape or incest. Right. And the hardcore pro-lifers don't believe that. And so there are members of the church who very much have this strong pro-life position but are still conflicted about that element of it. Yeah. And then you have pro-choicers who think abortion needs to be safe and legal in almost every circumstance, but emphasis on the word almost, that are very uncomfortable with late-term abortions. Yeah. Most of which are performed without any medical need for them. And Late-term abortions? Partial birth abortions. I where are you getting that from? The partial I've birth abortion debate, uh, the Congress passed a partial birth abortion bill during the first term of the Clinton presidency, and Bill Clinton vetoed it. And the only group Bill Clinton would not stand up to throughout his entire presidency was the pro-choice lobby. He wouldn't do anything to undermine them. And he had all kinds of feminists saying, we don't care what he does. And they described all kinds of things they'd be willing to do to Bill Clinton to be able to thank him for keeping abortion legal. That was the one issue where Bill Clinton would not waver. And Bill Clinton wavered on everything. Is it like this in other countries? Like, I'd be interested to know that abortion's probably the most controversial topic among voters in America. Is it like that other places? That's a very good question. Because I'd, I've never heard of other people's, like, staking their entire, like, political thought process on this on one topic in, like, the U.K., for example. Right. I don't know. I don't know that much about politi- politics there. But. You know, that might be an interesting podcast. We'd have to do some research on that. I'll listen to some podcasts about it. Listen to some podcasts about it. But the, the law that came out of New York, the law that came out of Virginia, both of which have, have uh, fanned the flames of the pro-life lobby, uh, really play into the idea that the extremism on the abortion issue right now can be found on the Democratic side more than the Republican side. Yeah. And Donald Trump addressed that head on. And it's so bizarre to me that he can do that with a straight face because just two years before he was elected, he was telling everybody how he was pro-choice and yeah. how you – know, I mean, he doesn't have any core principle on this. He doesn't believe anything. And then to hear him talk about the God-given life and he all of this – He believes that they shouldn't have investigations. Yes, that's, that's his one core principle. He believes that he should go without scrutiny. But to hear him wax poetic about the great mystery of life and all this kind of nonsense, <laughs> it's just so bizarre that people don't recognize him for who he is. But the reality does he, wait, is... Does he know how babies are made? The mystery of life? Uh, I think he has way too many babies to not know how they're made. No, maybe would, that's why yeah, he has... someone should tell him. I don't think he even knows whatever, who some of his babies are. Whatever happened to that secret guy in the White House who wrote the op-ed who was like... You know, who was Oh, like, yeah. We don't know who he was. We don't know who he is. Okay. Or yeah, she. But, Could be she. But why doesn't he tell him? You know who I think that is, by the way? Who? Kellyanne Conway. Oh, uh, I think we talked about that. Well, briefly. Do- but in the end, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Well, what's come out now is that Kellyanne Conway is the leaker. She's leaking to everybody. She's the one who talks to the press. Oh, cool. And so, and George Conway, her husband, hates Trump. Yeah. Do you follow George Conway on Twitter? No, but we've talked about this before. Yeah. So I, that's why I think that is. But that's neither here nor there. Interesting. So moving back, but I, I, think it's, I think that the pro-life lobby recognizes that this is the president that could actually get something for them that they want. 
And so the fact that he's a repugnant human being, the fact that he doesn't believe any of it, the fact none of that matters because somehow he is going to make abortion illegal. But he's not. But he's not. That's the thing that they don't recognize either is because the Virginia law and the New York law, uh, I think they go way too far. I, I think the idea that we can't, we can't uni- universally agree that if a baby is born alive, that if you were getting an abortion, you don't have a right to kill a baby that's born alive. There are those on this issue that say that, no, 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 that's, you, it's an abortion. That baby needs to be dead. That, to me, is an extraordinarily extreme position. Would you agree or no? I, again, uh, it's just so hard to make definitive statements. I've never had to experience something like that. I've read stories, though, of people who have like been told that their baby was going to live only days before it would die and be in agony the whole time. Okay. So it's just hard to say. Like It's something I, I hopefully won't, won't have to experience. And, but well, the point being that it is not wrong to be conflicted about abortion. Oh, no, I'm totally conflicted about I Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't have... Huge conflicts on this. And, and, and it, it seems to me that these kinds of laws demonstrate an extremism that galvanizes the pro-life lobby. And so the pro-lifers are willing to do whatever it takes to get a president of the United States to who will allow for abortion to be made illegal. But the thing that they don't recognize is that the president of the United States can't do can't that. Do that. Even he's busy if, having executive time. Well, and he's busy having executive time. And even if Roe versus Wade and all other judicial decisions that limit abortion are overturned, that would have no bearing on the New York or the Virginia laws. It would have no bearing on California, which has abortion protections which go way beyond Roe versus Wade and several other states in the union. It would have absolutely no effect on those. And so the idea that the president of the United States is going to make abortion illegal is just nonsense. He, what he can do, possibly, is put on Supreme Court justices who can overturn these judicial decisions. and In like 50 years. Well... No, well, there, there's an abortion case now, actually, that's going before the Supreme Court, and some people think that this might be the one. I don't think it is. It's talking about licenses for abortion doctors in Louisiana and mm. how they have to be licensed in hospitals, not just abortion clinics. And this law, well, no, this law banned them from being licensed in hospitals and only said they could be licensed in abortion clinics. And the thing that Louisiana has a tiny amount of abortion facilities and abortion clinics, and there's only one doctor who would be affected by this law, apparently. But the precedent... He's like, come on, guys. <laughs> right. Really? Right. But it, it's it's just... I I think one of the reasons why this remains an open wound to so many people in the United States is that we have not gone through the difficult process of legislating it. Have we talked about that on this podcast? Uh, Maybe. Well, we're going to talk about it a little bit more when we get back. So you ask, does the rest of the world deal with abortion the same way we do? I did ask that, yes. And 
I don't have a definitive answer. Well, then to that. why would you bring it up again? I bring it up again because I think that other countries, I don't know of any other, other country that has lifted abortion out of the legislative arena the way the United States has. Prior to Roe versus Wade in 1972, states all over the country were legalizing abortion. Abortion was becoming more accessible before Roe versus Wade, not less accessible. And then Roe versus Wade just sort of said, you're not allowed to make laws about this anymore. It's a constitutional right, and therefore we're not going to even let you talk about this anymore. We're not going to let the states make any decisions on this. And that deeply frustrated the pro-lifers. It, it, they felt disempowered. They didn't have any means. And all of a sudden it became this quote-unquote settled issue that was anything but settled. Yeah. To settle an issue, you have to do the messy process of cage legislating. Fight. That's what we need. Pretty much. Put them in a cage, lock the door until they figure it out. Pretty much. No folding chairs allowed, just just fists. Just fists. No. Um, I'd be such a good president. You would be. I would vote for you. Thank you. Do you want to see, who do you want to see Donald Trump cage fight with? A Donald Trump. Kellyanne Conway. No, that would be kind of fun. Melania. Oh, Melania would kick his butt six ways to Sunday. Tiffany Trump. I don't think he knows who Tiffany Trump is. I that, know would, a, that would be a fun way to introduce them. Yeah. <laughs> this is your daughter, and she's going to kick your butt in the cage fight. It's like, it's, oh, that would be a really great television show idea, is like Maury, you know, like the You Are Not the Father show, mixed with like MMA fighting. That would be good. I'm trademarking that. Nobody steal that. What a great, great idea. Uh no, I, I, just, I just look at that and I look at what's happening with the wall, for instance. And you, you see, if we eventually get a wall, it will be because Donald Trump has had to compromise with the Democrats in Congress to be able to do something commensurate with what they want in order to be able to get part of what he wants. Yeah. And if we eventually get the kind of wall Donald Trump's talking about, except, well, we've talked about this before too, at this point, he's not even asking for enough money to do much of anything at all. This is all a symbolic gesture. We're not going to get a wall 2,000 miles across the southern border. It's not going to happen, and Donald Trump's not even asking for it to happen. So what, whatever eventually happens, it's not going to be the kind of a open fence. wound. offense. Well, we have a fence. We have 640 miles of offense. How about what? whatever happened to um, those like fences that were electrified and you'd put like a collar on your dog and it would shock the dog? Oh, yeah. Uh, electronic Except fences. Except then we'd have to put collars on everybody in Mexico. That probably wouldn't work that well. Yeah, I'm not sure it would either. Kind um, of dehumanizing, I would say. Well, he moved on from the, the wall and everything else. He started talking about health care and lowering health care prices and lowering drug prices. And I just kept free th- drugs, free drugs. Well, I kept thinking, wh- where do you get off talking about any of this? This is not anything you've addressed in your presidency at all. This is nothing you've talked about. And all of a sudden, and then he starts talking about cancer and how cancer is bad. I would agree. Yes. Yeah. Cancer is bad. That's something we can all get behind, I think. The one thing that we couldn't get behind, though, is he said, we will never be a socialist country. And the Republicans just went nuts. Yay! What a weird thing to get excited about. Well, and it's not true. Because socialism, I, I would have a whole lot more confidence in his statement about that if he understood what socialism was. 
Social, we have a socialized country. We have socialized public education. We have socialized fire departments. We have socialized police departments. Fire departments. That's something we can also all get behind. Well, Love firemen. What? You're no, they're great, so, it's socialized. We should have private fire departments. You can, Why tax everybody and socialize fire safety? If you're, if you're really rich, safety? you can do that. Like some celebrities in the California fires like hired private, private firefighters. Private firefighters. Uh, you know, I, I think free markets are a better solution than places in almost every instance. But there are instances where the government has a role to play. Confirm, Jim Bennett hates public school. <laughs> That's not what you're I'm saying. You're a monster. That's not what I'm saying. But But – when you say we will never be a socialized country, a socialist country, you are ignoring the elements of socialism that all of us have come to accept uh, and that are not controversial. There are not people out there lobbying for private fire departments, are there? Have you met anybody that's trying to do that? No, I don't usually hang out in circles with people like those, though. Oh, so, I don't either. I never have. So I don't think we should socialize private industry. I don't think we should socialize the auto industry and all of those kinds of things. But I think public education is a good idea. Does that make me a socialist? Yes. Oh, well, okay. Well, I guess I'm a you socialist. Should, you should get a tattoo of like the communist sickle or whatever. Right. And people ask you, they're like, what is that for? And you're like, I just love our public school teachers. There you I go. I want to support them. There you go. Well, uh, bottom line, to sum up, Donald Trump talked a lot, didn't really accomplish much. There was and, clapping, there was chanting, and that everybody w- had a grand old time. And Buzz Aldrin Do was there. Do they serve alcohol there? They should. They should. That would be a, that would be a fun after party. There you go. Well, or for whatever political party. The other one would probably be like funeral. That's correct. Well, if you are listening to this podcast on the radio, please subscribe at iTunes or at the KSL Podcast Center. In the meantime, this is Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. We'll see you next week on Dinner Table Politics.